Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening, and may I have your attention, please? Thanks very much for joining us on a drizzly night. I'm John Donvan. I'm the host and moderator of the debate this evening. I want to thank you all for coming and just take a couple of minutes to speak with you um, about how things will unfold this evening and some things that we would like you to know as members of the audience if you're new to our debate. Uh, th those who have been here before have heard this before, and you know the importance of your role as members of the audience comes in two ways. First of all, um, we ask you as members of the audience to choose the winners. And the way we do that is we ask you to vote two times, once before you've heard the arguments and once again at the end of the debate. And in the first uh, vote, we ask you to tell us where you stand on the motion that's stated tonight, ban college football, are you for it, against it, or undecided? The way we have you vote is you go to those keypads that are at your seat on the right-hand side, and if you agree with the motion, when the time comes, you'll push number one. And if you disagree, you push number two. And if you're undecided, you push number three. You can ignore the other keys. They're not, uh, they're not live. And if you make a mistake, just correct yourself, and the system will lock in your last vote. Then at the end of the debate, after three rounds, you will be asked to vote a second time. And in that case, we're asking you to vote on something slightly differently, and only slightly differently. We're asking you really to listen this evening and tell us at the end of the debate which side really presented the better arguments. And what we do is we take the differential between those two votes and the team whose numbers have changed the most will be declared our winner. But we're really asking you to, to tell us who really presented the better arguments because what we try to do here is encourage real discourse, which means that the panelists have to listen to each other in order to dismantle each other's arguments. The second way in which you're involved as audience members is that in the middle of the debate, I'm going to come to you for questions to move the debate along. And this has proven tricky in the past um, because sometimes folks don't exactly know what a question is and want to, <laughs> want to debate the debaters. And we really want to discourage that. We want these guys to debate. But what we'd like you to do is come up with a question that is very focused to this topic that will move us along perhaps in a direction that we haven't been in yet on the topic of whether we should ban college football. You can also go to clarification to something that you might have heard earlier in the debate, or if something doesn't make sense to you, you can go to it. But try to phrase it in the form of a question so that once that's tossed back here, they'll, they'll really move things along. Um, also, in the course of the evening, you'll notice that I'm repeating myself a lot of times. I'll tell you several times that my name is John Donvan um, and that we're at the Skirball Center and that this is a debate from Intelligence Squared US. And the reason for that is that we're being recorded for broadcast on uh, we're carried by a couple of hundred NPR stations and also on Channel 13 here in New York. We're also being live streamed by our media partner, Slate.com and by Fora.tv. Um, and so in the end, some of this is compressed into a radio and a television program, and they need me to say those things over and over again to come from break. So there will be a few times when I'll ask you to applaud um, for, for the effect of the uh, for very spontaneous applause. <laughs> Uh, for the effect of uh, return something like, and I'll raise my hand when that happens so this will be the signal to applaud 
and you can test it out now to see if it works or if it's broken. So it's still working. And also, as members of the audience, uh, you, you do not have to sit on your hands throughout this debate. It, it, it's, it helps, again, to know, for the radio listeners to know that you're here. helps the debaters to know how they're doing. So it, this is not a debate where you have to sit in silence. It's not like the presidentials where you're not allowed to applaud things that you like. Go ahead and applaud uh, things that you like. Because we have so many microphones involved with the radio broadcasts, I have to ask you um, to shut off all your electronics stuff because if it reaches a certain critical mass, it causes haywire with the, uh, with the radio signal, uh, with the microphone signals. But um, we, we suspect we're okay if you want to tweet because we suspect there won't be enough people to cause that harm. So if you want to tweet, go ahead. Uh, you can follow our, our tweet, uh, Twitter feed at uh, IQ2US, and our hashtag, if you want to tweet about the debate in progress, is hashtag IQ2US. So that's it. Our debaters are going to be up. They're coming to the stage now. Let's welcome them, and we'll begin the evening. I'd like to uh, introduce, to set up and frame the debate, the chairman of the board of Intelligence Squared U.S., Mr. Robert Rosenkrantz. Well, well thank you and welcome. You know, my, my own experience of uh, college football consisted of attending uh, occasional games at Yale Bowl. When I was lucky enough to have a date, uh, she usually knew more about the game than I did. Um, I was a bright, nerdy kid, and when I got into a position to hire people, uh, I looked to hire people like myself. But with maturity and experience, I came to value a varsity football background very highly indeed. Often that bespoke the discipline to work very hard, the perseverance to suffer defeat uh, and uh, endure pain, the personality to be part of a team, and sometimes the charisma to lead one. A healthy mind and a healthy body. What's wrong with that ideal? Well, nothing. Except that it has very little to do with college football as played at the big state colleges, the Texas, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Michigan, and the recently infamous Penn State. These are big businesses. They generate profits of $40 to $50 million a year sometimes more. The coaches are paid more than uh, university presidents, and the athletes are offered all manner of uh, tawdry inducements, often making a sham of their amateur status. They can emerge with little real education, but often with some very real brain injuries, uh, resulting in elevated risks of dementia at a young age. Libertarians would argue that all sorts of sports and recreational activities are risky. Motor car racing, downhill skiing, climbing mountains, and on and on. And a decent respect for human liberty dictates allowing adults to assume the risks they choose. But query, if a, small, if a poor high school student offered an athletic scholarship to play big-time football is making an informed choice, or a mature one. 
And for the colleges, is big-time football a valuable source of funding for other athletic programs? Is it an object of school pride that drives bigger donations from alumni and more generous funding from state legislators? Or is it a corruption magnet, corrosive of the meaning and purpose of the university itself? Clearly, there's a huge public uh, interest in these issues. We've rarely had a debate that was sold out so quickly or that garnered so much pre-debate publicity. So let the game begin. Panelists, John, over to you. Thank you very much. And I'd like to invite one more round of applause for Robert Rosencrantz. Yes or no to this statement. Ban college football and jaws drop all over. Yes, we are talking about that time-honored sport, football, in the place where it first mattered, college, and we are talking about banning it. Welcome from, to Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two. And for a taste of the kind of poetry and passion and pain that comes to bear when we discuss the meaning of football, I just want to give you a taste, a sample of what one NFL player wrote back in 2001 about playing through pain. He said, to this day, I will encourage people to feel the knob below my neck where the collarbone was sprung free from my sternum in the middle of a game against the 49ers. That was pain. And he loved it. So, are we talking about madness? Or are we talking about courage when we debate the question of banning college football? Let's meet our debaters. On the side arguing for the motion to ban college football, Buzz Bissinger, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and author of the book, Friday Night Lights. His partner is Malcolm Gladwell, a staff writer at The New Yorker and author of four bestsellers, among them, The Tipping Point. Arguing against the motion, arguing not to ban college football, Tim Green, a college football Hall of Famer and former Atlanta Falcons defensive end. And his partner, Jason Whitlock, a FoxSports.com national columnist and former offensive tackle for Ball State University. Our motion is ban college football. Let's talk to our debaters. First, Buzz Bissinger. I'm going to do that just for the sake of the radio edit. I'm going to do that again because you weren't wrong. I missed the cue, so I'll do it for you again. Our motion, thanks. Our motion is ban college football. Let's talk to our debaters. First, Buzz Bissinger. And Buzz, in 1990, you wrote a book called Friday Night Lights. It is considered a classic of sports journalism about a small town, Odessa, Texas, and the trials of its high school team. It is considered by Sports Illustrated the fourth greatest sports book of all time. A movie came from it, a television show. And you have said that you, while critical of what you saw, that you have said that you love the sport and that violence is why we like it. So are you on the wrong team here? Well, I don't think so. I think violence is why we, why we like it. And look, nobody has ever accused me of being consistent about anything. Uh, I also think there's a vast distinction between what we're, what we're arguing here, which is college football versus pro players who are being compensated very, very well for what they do and know the risks going in, 
College players receive nothing beyond a scholarship that is really of questionable value because of the demands placed upon them. So I think what I've said is very consistent. All right, Buzz Bissinger. Let's meet your debating partner, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, who can't seem but to help writing uh, best-selling books, Blink, Outliers, The Tipping Point. Uh, in the New Yorker, you've written about everything from innovation to catch-up to social media. And, of course, your piece that helped inspire this debate, the one where you compared uh, college football to dogfighting. You're also Canadian. <laughs> Canada has football. Is it any different in Canada? Well, the difference in Canada is that we don't care about football. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Our, our motion is ban college football, and here to meet the team arguing against the motion in support of college football, uh, Tim Green. Now, I earlier in the program read a quote from somebody who said, come touch the knob on my neck, and that was you, Tim Green, and we're all going to line up and do that afterwards, but <laughs> this, this peon to punishment you wrote. I'm touching the knob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I... You're going to go there already? Come on, we got to have some class on this side of the yeah. auditorium. Jason, I, I, I totally deliberately stayed away from that line myself. Uh, um, so this, this peon to punishment that you wrote, what, what is that about? Why, why the glory of the pain? It's how much can you take? How much can you take and keep going? And I think that's one of the great lessons of the sport of football. And I think that's why it's, it's great for our youth. It's great in, in Little League. It's great in high school. It's certainly great in college because it teaches kids that life is tough. Things are tough. And then you pick yourself up and you go on. I think it's the greatest lesson in the game, and I think it's the greatest game that we play. Thank you, Tim Green. And let's meet your debating partner arguing against banning college football, Jason Whitlock. And, Jason, you are also a former player. You were an All-American, an All-State offensive lineman in high school and an offensive tackle at Ball State University where you got a degree in journalism. Uh, you are on record, Jason, as saying that you are in favor of paying college players to play the game. So if you were given the choice nowadays, back at Ball State, would you play for free? If we were playing back in the 80s, early 90s when I played, absolutely, because I thought the exchange was fair then. Coaches and football wasn't generating as much money. And I was prepared to take advantage of the currency that they were paying me in education. Not all of my teammates were. So, yeah, I would do it all again. All right. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. Ladies and gentlemen, our debaters. So this is a contest, and in this debate, uh, one team will win, the other team will lose, and you, our live audience, will choose our winners by your vote. Let's go to the first round of voting now. The keypad at your seat will register where you stand on this motion at this point as you come in off the street. The motion is ban college football. And if you agree with the motion, press number one. And if you disagree with the motion, number two. And if you're undecided, push number three. And at the end of the debate, we will have you vote a second time. And at that point, we will reveal the results of both numbers. And the team that has moved its numbers the most will be declared our winner. So we go in three rounds. The first round is uninterrupted statements by each debater in turn. They are seven minutes each. So on to round one. And speaking first for the motion, ban college football, I'd like to introduce Malcolm Gladwell. He is uh, the New York, a New Yorker staff writer. And Malcolm, you can make your way to that lectern. 
Malcolm Gladwell is a New Yorker staff writer, chronicler of the counterintuitive, and author of Outliers, Blink, and The Tipping Point. Ladies and gentlemen, Malcolm Gladwell. Thank you. I should, I should say before I start that I, I haven't debated since college, and that was many years ago, and that was in Canada. And in Canada, a debate isn't really a debate. It's simply an alternate mechanism of uh, reaching consensus. Um, so this is all very new and exciting uh, for me. Um, I want to make one thing clear before we start, and that is that this is not a debate about uh, banning football, uh, nor is it a debate about whether there are merits to playing football. You will, you will hear, I'm quite sure, from uh, Mr. Green and Mr. Whitlock that all kinds of wonderful things happen when you play football. You learn camaraderie and discipline and teamwork. All those things are true, and neither Buzz nor I are going to uh, dispute any of them. This debate is about a very specific question. Right now, in colleges across the country, schools field football teams for the purpose of offering recreation to the players and offering entertainment to fans and students and alumni. And the question is, is that appropriate? Buzz is going to say that's not appropriate because the players are exploited. And I'm going to say that it's not appropriate because schools should not be in the business of, of encouraging young men to hit themselves over the head. The Let's talk a little bit about hitting over the head. Talk, start with the very simple, the simple physics of football. The human brain is a mass of soft tissue that is suspended within a hard skull. Right? Every time you get hit, the, that soft tissue rattles around inside your skull, and the effect of that rattling around is to stretch and sometimes tear the connections between your nerve cells. In the course of everyday life, that almost never happens. In the course of playing football, that happens all the time. It is not unusual in the course of a game for a player to sustain hits to the head of between 40 and 100 Gs. To put that in perspective, if you were to get in your car and not put on your seatbelt and drive at 25 miles an hour into a brick wall so that your forehead struck the dashboard of the car, that would be a hit of 100 Gs. If you reversed your car and went and did it over and over again so that you hit the brick wall 30 to 40 times at speeds between 20 and 25 miles an hour, that would be the equivalent of a football game. If you reversed your car and over the course of the next three months drove it at 25 miles an hour into a brick wall 1,000 times, that would be the equivalent of a college football season. Now, you're going to hear from Mr. Whitlock and Mr. Green. They're going to try and tell you that there are ways around this fact, that if we have better rules or better treatment of concussions or better helmets, the effect of that kind of injury can be minimized. That is a fantasy. There are ways to cut down on the number of concussions, but concussions are only a small part of the problem. The real issue is all of those thousands of tiny hits. There isn't a helmet in the world that can be designed that can take the sting out of those hits. And there is no way to play the game of football and remove those hits without turning tackle football into touch football. And last I checked, this was not a debate about whether we should ban touch football on college campuses. I once watched a football practice at the University of North Carolina where the players were playing without pads. They were just doing a simple scrimmage. And in the course of 20 minutes, one of the running backs sustained hits to the head of 79, 60, and 30 Gs. In 15 minutes, he had the equivalent of three car accidents. Now, what's the effect of all of that neurological trauma? Well, we know. It's a condition called CTE, which brings about premature death and the equivalent of Alzheimer's in people who are as young as 40 years old. I've seen pictures 
of the brain scans of people with CTE, and it looks like someone drove a truck across their brain. Now, we don't know how many ex-football players have this condition because you can't diagnose it until they die. So you do an autopsy of your brain. But there are people who estimate there are as many as 20% of football players who have this condition. And we also know that there are players as young as 18 years old who have been diagnosed with, a, with CTE. It's a problem that begins in high school and is made worse during college. Now, I have no problem whatsoever with grown men in full possession of the facts and risks of the game choosing to participate in a potentially lethal profession. Right? I have no problem with people who smoke cigarettes. I have no problem with people who do deep-sea diving. I have no problem with people who uh, want to drive their motorcycles without a helmet on. If you want to play Russian roulette with your brain, fine. But college is a very, very different matter. Every single college in this country, rich or poor, big or small, is supported by the taxpayer dollars of the people in this room. They are subsidized by us. They are, they are given immunity from taxes. They are supported by laws of Congress, by acts of local legislatures. They are in every way funded by the people in this room. And the reason for that special relationship between us and the, and the world of higher education is that they are charged with a sacred trust, and that is to prepare the minds of young men and women to lead productive uh, lives, the minds of young men to lead productive lives as, as full citizens of the United States. And nowhere, nowhere in that social contract does it say that it's okay to promote and encourage young men to hit themselves over and over again in the head in the name of entertainment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Our motion is ban college football. And here to speak against the motion, Tim Green. He's a college football Hall of Famer, a former Atlanta Falcons defensive end, a lawyer, the author of 26 books. He has been called the Renaissance Man of Sports by both Sports Illustrated and the LA Times. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Green. Thank you. Can I, can I have the two minutes Malcolm didn't use? Okay. Uh, when, when I was first asked to do this, I, I, of course, I asked permission uh, from my wife, uh, as any good husband will. And uh, when she said, well, you know, what's the debate? I said, ban college football or not. She said, well, that's, that's ludicrous. You know, you, you'll win that debate. I said, yeah. She said, you, you can win the debate, can't you? I said, absolutely. She said, uh, uh, well, who are you debating? I said, Buzz Bissinger, Malcolm Gladwell. She said, you've had too many concussions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and I have, and I have, and I agree with I agree with our opponents, uh, Mr. Gladwell, and Mr. Bissinger, in in a lot of ways. Um, football is a brutal game, uh, and and I have grave concerns about concussions and the impact of concussions. Uh, I also agree that I think college football players, because of the revenues that they generate, should should be paid. I think a small stipend. I think that they deserve that. Um, and, and, and so in some ways, I, I do agree with them. But, but banning college football, I mean, so, so I, I had to first – I had to get over my initial horror at the notion because, of course, football for me has done a lot of tremendous things. And then I, I looked at, uh, you know, just our, our country, our society in general, and I thought about football and what it does in the colleges and how it's a unifier. 
um, not just the, the guys on the teams, not just, not just unifying people from different places and, and different ethnicities and different religions in, into, one, into one solid unit that learns to work together, but unifying a campus, unifying the, the students, unifying the faculty, unifying the alumni, unifying sometimes in, entire towns, communities, and, and whole cities. And so in that respect, to me, I said, well, you know, how could we? How could we benefit? College football is a wonderful thing. But then I wanted, to, I wanted to look at it, and I wanted to look at the numbers, because obviously uh, my opponents are, are highly intelligent men. Um, they're passionate men. They're, they're very learned. And I said, you know, what is it? What's behind this? And so I, I, I looked into the numbers um, as far as what, what does college football, what are the benefits of college football, and what are the detriments? Well, the detriments certainly are um, the, the head injuries. Now, I, I've, I've got to say this because we've got to get things straight r from the beginning about the concussions and the G-forces because Mr. Gladwell talked about uh, 100 G-forces when you, when you hit your head into a brick wall at 25 miles an hour 30 times a game. That does not happen in a college football game. That does not happen in an NFL football game because when you get hit at, 120, at, at 100 Gs, you get a concussion. And when you get a concussion, now more than ever, you are taken out of the game and you are put into some rehab program. Now, back when I played, back, back when Jason played, it wasn't like that. It was, it was you, know, uh, you know, do you know where you are? No. Uh, how many fingers do I have up? Uh, four. Okay, that's close enough. You're ready to go back in. Uh, it, it's not like that anymore. And so the game is evolving to become uh, safer and safer, as safe as it can be. But it will never be completely safe. It won't be completely safe. So what I said to myself is I said, well, let me look at some things that are maybe as unsafe or, or maybe even more unsafe than playing the game of football. And so, of course, automobile accidents came to mind because the mortality rate is about 100 times higher for men in that age range that they're going to die in an automobile accident than they're going to die on the football field. And then I said, well, look, at, how, about, how about going out and riding your bicycle? That's right. That's more dangerous. Or downhill skiing. And then I said, well, let me look at sports. And so I went to, I went to uh, uh, the NCAA, and I looked at their sports, and I looked at the, uh, 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 a study that was done at the University of North Carolina. I looked at the study of the fatalities, direct fatalities, and the, the sports that are more dangerous than football, equestrian riding, female downhill skiing, lacrosse, water polo, and baseball. And then I went to indirect fatalities, and I looked, and I found that Rowing, basketball, skiing, water polo, and swimming are all more dangerous than football. And so if we're going to say, well, football has to be banned, then I think, I think it's only right that we say we pretty much have to ban all college sports if we're going to do it based on the risks and the safety. The other thing that I just, I just have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, disagree with, uh, with Mr. Gladwell, and, and I know this is dangerous territory for me, but um, he talked about grown men. And to suggest that college football players at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21 are not grown men, it, it's just, that's just not true. Because we'll take 18, 19, 20-year-olds and we'll send them off to Afghanistan or wherever in the world we need them to help protect our country. And those are grown men. And so at the age of, uh, you know, of, of majority, at 18, I think that they have the, um, they have the right to make that decision. So... Uh, those are the things that are maybe against, and I don't think that, that it's that dangerous. What are the things that are for? Education. Uh, 
Mr. Bissinger said, well, you know, all you get is a scholarship. All you get is a scholarship. If you go to my alma mater, it's, that's, that's a $250,000 plus scholarship. That's the value of that, of that education. So you do get an education. How many, how many scholarship football players are there in this country every year? 23,000. And the surplus from the game of football is used for what? Well, maybe it is for research. Maybe it is for physical plant. But a lot of it also is used for Title IX, for opportunities for women athletes to enjoy scholarships and enjoy educations that they might never have had before. And to suggest that, to suggest that uh, uh, football and, and sports aren't educating, especially football, aren't educating students, I looked at that too. In the general population, Students have a graduation rate of 55% in this country, and it's going down, and it's of grave concern. NFL, uh, college football players in the last 25 years have gone from a 60% graduation rate to a 70% graduation rate. So not only are they being educated, they're being educated at a higher and better rate than their peers. For me, the game of football, and I, and I, and I, well, I was serious about the, the lessons of football on an individual basis of teamwork, hard work, perseverance, and tolerance. And I, I know my, my partner, Jason, is going to talk more about that when he has his turn. Those are wonderful lessons that, for me, were an education in and of themselves. So I hope that you will all vote tonight to not ban college football. Thank you. Thank you, Tim Green. And here's a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, ban college football. You have heard two of the opening statements, and now on to the third, debating in support of the motion, ban college football, Buzz Bissinger. He is winner, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting and author of several bestsellers, including Friday Night Lights. His newest book is called Father's Day. It's due out on Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, Buzz Bissinger. Thank you. You know, it, it seems to me that given that this debate is taking place at a university that is one of the greatest and most innovative in the country that doesn't have football, um, I think this debate ends right now. Our nation is at a cornerstone. There's no doubt about it. We are questioning everything. Tax rate, rich versus poor. Who are we? What are we? In a very intense, the most competitive global economy we have ever faced. And one of the things that we are looking at and must look at, which makes this debate pertinent, is the role of the university. It is pivotal. Questions over course offerings. Allocation of resources in a very difficult era as governors are slashing to the bone. Dwindling money, rising tuition. And yet, a recent book by two sociologists, Robert Aram and Josipa Roxas, says that basically undergraduates embrace college life and it is shaped and oriented to non-academic endeavors. The amount of study time has gone, and this was by two labor economists, study time in colleges has gone from over 40 hours in the 1960s to 20 hours in the 1980s to currently 13 hours of study time. And I believe that at the top of what has become the university distraction, the distracted university, is football. Is football. It sucks all 
the air out of the room. The amount of money that coaches make is insulting. It is insulting when a coach is making five to ten to fifteen times more than a college president. What does it say? What does it say about the priorities of a university? It says that the head coach runs the school. And make no mistake, that was the tragedy of Joe Paterno. He did run Penn State. He did run Penn State. And I know he ran Penn State because when Graham Spanier went to his house in 2004 and said, Joe, it's time to retire, he threw him out. They never spoke for 10 years. Joe ran that school, and when he, it was his chance to do what was the morally right thing to do, which was to go to the police, the culture of omerta that surrounds football, he did nothing except harbor a suspected child molester. This is what we're dealing, dealing with in football. A few facts in what they call the football bowl subdivision, the big 125 schools, spending per student in those schools, $13,471. Spending per athlete, $91,053. 6.8 times as much for a student athlete. In the famed SEC, 11.6 times as much. It's become a facility arms race. $15.2 billion spent on new athletic facilities, in particular stadiums, between 1995 and 2005, 20% of current spending that, by the way, is not included in a lot of the revenue statements you'll see in NCAA reports. And that's not from me. That's from Andrew Zimbalist, who is considered the leading sports economic professor in the country from Smith College. 20% of current spending is on facility expansion, which is wonderful, except what happens if these teams stop winning? People will not go. They will not go. From USA Today, June 16th of 2011, more than $470 million, more than $470 million, most of it in student fees by students who do not play sports, went into to subsidize college athletic programs, in particular in football. And this is an era, a national trend of declining state support, tuition increases, and salary freezes. How many football programs have cut their budgets? A few did in 2010, but it's back up. It is back up. It is back up. Salaries of coaches. I mentioned it. Average salary for a football coach, $1.47 million. That's up 55% in six seasons. A professor, 1986 to 2007, his salary went up 30%. The college president, 100%. The football coach, 500%. 500%. And I defy both of you to tell me why Urban Meyer deserves, of Ohio State, $24 million over six seasons. I defy you to tell me that. I defy you to tell me why Mac Brown deserves $5.192 million, not to mention the $850,000 bonus he will get. And I can go down the line, not to mention David Cutcliffe at Duke, which has a terrible football program, who received $1.762 million. And there are all these myths, all these myths, character, character, from CBS SI poll in 2011. 
7% of college football players, 7% have criminal records. 7%. 2,837 players, they studied the top 25 programs. At the top of the list, Pitt, Pitt, 22 players on the team in 2010 have been charged with a crime. Myth, increased, Atlanta, increased alumni giving. Myth, 2005, Robert Frank of the Johnson School of Management at Cornell. Existing empirical literature supports that success in big-time athletics has little, if any, systematic effect on the quality of incoming freshmen and institutions able to attract. That's the, one of the things about football, is it attracts better students. It does not. It attracts more applications, but the students are of low caliber. caliber. Myth, football gives back. Untrue, untrue, and I'll go into that later. Graduation rates. Graduation rates. NCA is the most ridiculous formula. The graduation success rate, now they've included the Ivy League. It's ridiculous. And 69%. And what is worse, what is worse is that the racial gap between black and white is despicable. I'm done. Thank you, Vice Presidential. Motion is banned college football. Our motion is ban college football, and our final debater against the motion is Jason Whitlock. Jason is a Jason is a, is a national columnist with FoxSports.com. He's a contributor to Fox Sports Radio. He lettered as an offensive tackle for Ball State University, and he was the first sports writer to win a national journalism award. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Whitlock. Tim, if we, if we lose the debate, I should be blamed because uh, I anticipated all their arguments, and if I do it justice, I will uh, <laughs> prove how ridiculous their arguments are, or just not ridiculous because uh, Mr. Ridiculous. Mr. Gladwell and Mr. Bissinger are two of the brightest minds uh, that dabble in sports. No, uh, no, 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 no. I, I did not mean that dismissively. They, Trust me, if you've read their work, if they if you've read if you've read their work, they do much higher end stuff than just sports, and I, I'm I'm they're lending their brains to sports uh, occasionally. But again, I don't mean that. I mean that with all due respect. We need to keep in. I will not match uh, Buzz's intensity or passion. Uh, I think I can match wits with him and Mr. Gladwell. Keep in mind, Mr. Gladwell is a Canadian. And <laughs> you guys are, I'm not playing this for jokes. I'm being serious. Uh, we live in a republic, a democracy. Capitalism is our economic system. Uh, the thing we value the most is freedom. Uh, we're American. And if you believe in freedom, you can't have the free without the dumb. You can't have it. They go hand in hand. Freedom allows you to do dumb things, things we find reprehensible. And I would agree. You can put football right in there with cigarettes, alcohol, porn, everything else, things that we tolerate and enjoy here in America, uh, but you cannot separate them. And everything in America is connected 
to freedom and to capitalism and to democracy. And so you can't remove our institutions of higher education from capitalism and from freedom. You can't. We don't do that in America. We let capitalism exploit everything, whether we like it or not. And so football has to be tolerated no different than Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald has done far more damage to America than any football coach, any of these overpaid coaches that he's talking about. Mr. Vissinger argues rightfully these coaches are overpaid. Ronald McDonald is overpaid. Hugh Hefner's overpaid. Jenna Jameson's overpaid. Uh, what Charlie Sheen's overpaid. That's America. <laughs> Mr. Bissinger argues in the Wall Street Journal and a little bit today that football is removed from the academic experience. He is wrong. Uh, people don't understand football. Many football players don't even understand football. Play, football. But, and, and I mean this respectfully. I'm not playing this for laughs. I'm not trying to be dismissive. Mr. Gladwell, Mr. Bissinger, some of our brightest minds have not participated in football. And many of you in this audience have not participated in football. Football, whether we like it or not, whether you understand it or not when I say it, but football is America. It is the melting pot. College football is the highest level of the melting pot. Football is the Statue of Liberty, college football. You're huddled masses, you're poor, you're tired, people yearning to breathe free. I was one of those kids. Football was my access into the mainstream and a better life. My dad didn't graduate from high school. My mother was a factory worker. I was the first person in my family to go off to college. Football brings the poor and the rich, the black and the white, the Jews and the Gentiles. The, it brings everybody together, particularly at the college level. Your high school experience, for the most part, is segregated. Your little league experience is segregated. Once you go all the way up to the pros, it's more segregated because football is a game best played, pardon Tim's an exception, by the most desperate people on the planet. It's like boxing. That's why so many of the football players have hard luck stories in the National Football League. They came from nothing. They had no other choices. They had to be good at football. But on the college level, everybody comes together. And I personally played next to, I was a tackle. The guy next to me, right guard, keeping it real, don't laugh. The guy next to me was a bigot. His mom left his dad for a black man, and he couldn't get over it, and he was a bigot. We were very good friends. We're still very good friends. We found common ground through football. College football, the bringing together of this diverse cross-section of people, pursuing one goal, if they understood it on college campuses, they would teach college football. They would come and study college football and learn things so that I watch, I'm a part of the media. I watch our major broadcast media, and I watch the clueless, people 
that don't have the diversity of experience that I had through college football and through life, and I watched them consistently tear this country apart. I watched them do it with George Zimmerman, O.J. Simpson, Rodney King, whatever the big media story, Barack Obama, consistently tear this country apart. The reason why, and if people have ever read my columns and understood my perspective, the reason why I never lose faith in America is because of my college football experience. I have seen people of different backgrounds overcome tremendous differences to compete for one goal. That's what we allegedly are trying to do here in America. I think the argument to ban college football is being argued by well-intentioned people who don't clearly understand the sport. America is imperfect. The Statue of Liberty does not promise perfection. Our Constitution doesn't promise perfection. We pursue perfection. College football needs to be reshaped, remade, less games, less practice, less padded practice. Jason Whitlock. Share some I'm of the sorry, money with the coaches. Jason, it does not need to be banned. Your time is up. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now we go on to round two, which is where the debaters address each other directly and also answer questions from you in the audience and from me. We have two teams of two who are arguing out this motion, ban college football, arguing for the motion. We've heard from Buzz Bissinger and Malcolm Gladwell. They're arguing that college football is something like a kind of toxic spill in the society. They make two kinds of arguments. One, the medical argument that it abuses the players, hurts them physically, literally is rattling the brains in their heads. And a financial argument that college football twists universities' priorities so that these schools are less in the education business than they are in the football business, that in these, on these campuses, football becomes a distraction. The team arguing against the motion, Jason Whitlock and Tim, Gr Tim Greenfield, they both played in college, and they are arguing that, that football is a great unifier for the players and for schools. For the schools, they provide identity and loyalty. For the players as individuals, they provide character and discipline and a shot at education that many of them may not have had, and they also dispute uh, almost all of the medical claims made by the other side. So we want to have them mix it up now, and I want to go to the side arguing against uh, the motion. Your, your opponents are, are making a very broad philosophical argument that college football as it stands now has no place on university campuses because it makes the schools more about football than it does about education, that this actually causes harm. You, you make the argument that it's good for the players. They're making the argument, maybe so, but it's bad for everybody else because it, 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 it just messes up what the school is supposed to be about, messes up the finances. And they put this down to a very specific question. Why should these coaches be making millions of dollars and millions of dollars more than the president of universities? Why shouldn't they be making millions of dollars more? Why? I mean, this is America, and Jason said it. This is, this is a country where we allow pop stars and rappers and, and hedge fund ma managers, we allow people to make whatever the, whatever the market determines that it should make. And we, I, I don't understand why we would begrudge anyone, Wait, any amount of anything. that hedge fund managers are just as bad? What I'm saying is I, don't, I wouldn't begrudge, you know, I don't begrudge, you know, you, the, the revenues from your wonderfully successful books or buzz 
You know, Friday Night Lights, we're all big fans. I don't begrudge you that. Whatever you get is what you get. And whatever the market determines, that's what you earn. I understand, but first of all, these are not-for-profit institutions. Second of all, athletic departments are notoriously bureaucracy heavy. Notorious. Ohio State has an athletic department of 478 people, which is twice as much as the English department at Ohio State. So let's face it. It ain't about capitalism because they're nonprofit institutions. They're not responsible to stockholders. Plus, the Knight Foundation, which has studied football and sports more than any entity in the country in the past 20 years, has said there is absolutely no correlation between a winning record and the amount of a coach's salary. You talk about what's wrong Tim Green. With, with, with football, with academics, right? You talked about yes. 13 hours a week studying. Guess how many hours a week football players study? 20. 40. 40 hours a week. I talked about the graduation rate. You talk about the bureaucracy and the money that's spent on football. Maybe that money, maybe the, maybe, maybe the general student population. 40 hours a week doing 40 what? hours a week studying. Where'd you 40 get that hours from? a week playing football from the NCAA. I think, first of all, I think uh, it's, you know, Buzz, let's 20, not get into where we hours. got stuff, first where of all, you got your numbers, where I got mine. Where'd you get your Buzz, hang on a second and just let I've cited everything. Buzz, hang on a second and I'll come back to you. Okay. Go ahead, Tim. Finish your So, Football's doing a good job. They're doing a good job educating their players. They're educating them at a better and a higher rate than the general population. Maybe academia should take a, a, a page out of the playbook from the football program. Malcolm Gladwell, your, your opponents said your, their opponents made the point. Your, your opponents made the point that that football players' rate of graduation is actually increasing. Can you take that on? Well, first of all, that's small comfort if you uh, get a degree in the short term and a massive brain injury in the long term. Um, <laughs> but secondly, you can't say that. Wait, let him, let him finish. the other thing that, that um, I, almost everything that uh, our two opponents said, I agree with. If they simply substituted in another sport for football, right? The issue is not that football does all kinds of wonderful things. Of course it does. Do football players graduate? Of course they do. Do they learn all kinds of wonderful character things? Absolutely. But do we have to bash them over the head in order to, to, to communicate those virtues? Why can't they row? Why can't they, why can't they kick a soccer ball? They why can't can, they but track? those sports I mean, won't generate Jason. They won't generate enough money to sustain themselves. And again, I, I just want to go back to... Wait, it's about money now? That they have to hit, get hit over the head because they can't get money otherwise? In terms of funding all the other sports you're talking about that you like, yes, they do have to get hit but, over the head on Saturdays to pay for that. But Absolutely. Jason, <laughs> Jason, you're... To pay for the rowing team and the soccer but, team and all the other sports know, that but, no but one cares Jason, about. Your, yeah. your argument is a perfect argument for why football should not be at academic institu- institutions. Make it into a minor league system then. You'll w- get the same benefits that you're talking about. Uh, the melting pot, by the way, the melting pot also, I think, includes Latinos and uh, Asian Americans. And if you can name four Jews who played football, you win the debate. <laughs> Tim Green. And I can name you the only one, which was Sid Luckman from Columbia. Tim, Tim Green. Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm. However, I'll do, I'll, so Malcolm. Wait, 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 I'm, I'm wait, talking wait, to Malcolm wait. now. I'll talk to you out back later on. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. And I will defy you, Buzz Bissinger. 
Uh, Tim Green. Malcolm, you know, all due respect, you're talking about all this, all this uh, damage that's done to the brain, okay? Show me the studies. Show me proof. Because what I'm looking at right here is indirect fatalities. You said, why couldn't they be rowing? Per 100,000 students, student athletes, in rowing, how many, how many indirect fatalities a year? 16. How many in football? 2.2. Wait, so why are we going to let them row? You, it's, it's, look, you've got to look at numbers. You can't just say, you can't just throw out there and say, oh, it does all this damage, 100 Gs, which is, it, that's not correct. All this, all this damage to the head. Look, if, if there is, is long-term damage to, to the brain, okay, and maybe I'm living proof of it, but if there is long-term damage to the brain, I, I, I'm the first one to say, you know, uh, boy, maybe we should look at it. But do we, do we eliminate well, all these other Malcolm sports Gladwell. as well? Yeah, Malcolm. No, here's the thing. We, at that moment in your, in your um, remarks, when you were comparing fatality rates between sports, I, I was incredulous. We're not talking too. about – I'm not talking about fatalities on the field. We're talking about long-term health consequences that show up 20 and 30 years later. Show me the stuff. Here's, here's why we don't know what the long-term consequences of football are. Because you have to shoot yourself and have an autopsy before we know whether Malcolm. you have CTE in your brain. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Right? Let me, I, I think Jason that Whitlock. diagnose it until you're dead. I, I, Jason agree. I think, though, we're so caught up in the junior sale, Dave Duras, and, and the aberrations. I don't think that's the norm. I don't think that, and yes, they make news and they, we can write about them and people will be interested in it. I think what we're arguing, Malcolm, is that's not the case you, for the overwhelming ask, majority ask, of people that play football. Because the overwhelming majority stop at high school and then the next the, big group the, stops at college. And now we have some examples of a few pro athletes that have had these amazing problems. We haven't seen the studies that say – College athletes the two of, the two in of, any significant number have these problems. Jason, the two of you who have played, I, I want to ask you, I mean, given the arguments made on the other side, you, you've, you've both probably hit your head a bunch of times. I mean, they're yeah. arguing you're two very successful guys. You might be a lot more successful if you haven't <laughs> played football. But do, do you actually worry about the statistics that Malcolm is citing since you both have played the game? Do I, you worry about it? I have concerns. But this, this is the cell phone syndrome, folks. Ten years ago, people said, cell phones, cell phones, next to the head, it's brain cancer, cell phones, brain cancer. And everyone said, oh, my gosh, cell phones, brain cancer. And I'm walking around, my wife's saying, you can't use your cell phone, you can't hold it next to your head. And I started to believe it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, i got to use my speakerphone, i got to use the thing. Guess what? They've done studies, long-term studies, and they found there is no correlation between cell phones and brain cancer. Wait, wait. So until Name you, the last until time you, someone shot themselves in the chest because of cell uh, phone Malcolm, use. you're taking, you no, know, no. you're doing, I you're taking, taking, you're taking, as Jason said, an aberration. I did, you're I use AT&T. There are 64, <laughs> there are 64 <laughs> players in the National Football League who are currently suing the league over their brain injuries, right? That is the thin end of the wedge. We don't know how large the group of affected players is. And the question for us is, until we know, until we know what the extent of the medical damage is, what is the appropriate position to take as custodians of the, of the, uh, the personal and intellectual development of young people? Buzz Bissinger. Well, I'm, you know, listen, are, are, have the studies been definitive? No. However, Thank of you. The, but wait a sec. Of BU has studied the brains of 44 players who died early either because of Alzheimer's, suicide, which is a very, very complex issue. I agree with Jason about why Junior Sow died. We don't know. 
But in each of those 44 brains, they found advanced CTE. Their brains were shriveled. The first case was Andre Waters, who shot himself at the age of 43. Forget suicide. When they looked at his brain, they said he had the brain of a 67-year-old man. And you know, you know how Andre Waters played. He probably suffered 25 to 30 concussions during his career. So you have 44 cases in which there were advanced signs of CTE in players who either had Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's, or died. So there are studies. There are studies. There are 6,000 former NFL players over the last 20 years. And you're talking about... 1,000 are filing suit. Take 6,000 clergymen, 6,000 university professors, 6,000 bus drivers. But Tim, there's a class action suit. I don't want to be this cynical, I don't want to be this cynical, but... We, this is also America. We sue over everything. <laughs> you, get, you get broke and desperate. You, you, seriously, I've written about this in the past. About, remember we had this whole deal about the old NFL players not being taken care of by the current players? And I, <laughs> I called it the old NFL They want reparations because they're jealous of how much money the current players are making. Do you, really, do you honestly lot? think that? Absolutely. You don't, you don't Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Tim, no, let is, me ask you. You play. Wait, wait, None is, of us is suing a good thing like cigarettes, porn, and football? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's just what we do. Everybody, is, if, if you can't earn it, you'll sue somebody to get it. That's America. Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> I think all of you are, are the two of you are, are sidestepping the crucial fact here, and that is, yes, this is a complex topic. Yes, this is clearly a heated topic. Yes, we don't know what the full extent of this damage is. The issue is, what do we do at our institutions of higher learning in the interim, right? What what is the prudent step? And you guys seem to take the position that until we have definitive proof of just how many people are being killed, we shouldn't do anything. The appropriate step to take is to walk things back. They're playing too many games. I agree. They should walk it back to 11 games. The coaches are earning so too much. They should share some with the players. They should have less padded practices and less contact. They should walk things back until we figure it out. You don't just jump to banning. Right. Just, we would have banned cell phones but, ten years ago. But you're, 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 you're yielding. The, you're, you know, neither of you. You're, you're actually yielding a lot of their points that there's a real problem there. So you do. Well, yield no one denies there's a problem. There was a problem so back there, in so 1976. So the head injuries, so the head well, injuries you, are real, and the money problem is he, real. Look at helmets. Helmets have got better in 1976. The rules changed in 1976. Absolutely. I mean, we're not saying, oh, you know, just just go carry on as usual. Yeah, change the rules a little bit. Continue to modify. Use the, have the strike zone. No helmet to helmet hits. Hang on, bu- hang on, Buzz. I'm yeah, modify the rules. Pay the players. Keep making the helmets safer and safer, which they are. Do everything we can to protect. But don't you don't ban things. This this America. We don't ban things. People can burn the flag. We don't ban that. You don't ban college football. Buzz Bissinger. But the, the greater issue, which neither of you have answered, is what is the academic purpose of football on a university campus, and why are we the only nation in the world that looks to universities to provide a primary source of athletic entertainment? You talk about kids getting, you know what the graduation rate of football players should be? 100%. Do you know why? They get a free scholarship. Not only that. It's not free, Buzz. It, they it's get not a, free. You work Tim, for it. I didn't interrupt you. Do not interrupt me. They get a scholarship. Beyond that, 
you have the Phil Knights and the University of Texas. Phil Knight builds a $44 million Taj Mahal academic support center for student athletes. Why doesn't he build it for the average student? They get tutors. They get every ancillary benefit. And the graduation rate, and by the way, the federal rate is 56%. Because the NCA has all sorts of gimmicks Buzz, called this graduation Buzz, success Buzz, this is rate. landing well. I want to let him respond. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that instead of 55, it's 56. All right? As, as a, Tim, no, but Tim, take, take on the question. Why, why, he's talking about a great imbalance and disparity and where the investment goes. The, the, the money goes to where people pay for. People want people. Look, this is America. People want winners. They want the programs to win, and they'll pay for it. I agree with Jason. The coaches should split some of that salary, create a stipend for the players. I'm, I'm in full agreement. Again, look, at you guys can't just say, well, football needs to change. There's bad, th- bad things about it. Yeah, there are. There are some things that are, that are dangerous. It's unsettling. Are we going to not allow – sh- no student should allow to be driving motor vehicles. I that is 100 Buzz, times yeah, more dangerous. I want to ask Buzz Tim, this Tim, one Tim, second. We have to protect okay. our I, I youth. I have to go back. As a Canadian, I have to go back to something you just said. <laughs> when you said this is, Ameri- this is America, we don't ban things. Are you, are you sure – you don't ban things in you America? You want me to say this is Let North America? Let's think for a moment about something that we've banned recently in America. Gay marriage. Heard about it? We ban things all the time, Tim. It's, Jason it's, it's, not, it's, it's not banned in New York State, and, and I, think it will, I think it will cease to be banned everywhere in this country. Jason Whitlock. B- Buzz, I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't know the answer to this. It's, cer- it's certainly banned on football programs. I, <laughs> <laughs> I would... Uh, uh, Buzz, don't ask, would, don't tell, Buzz. Would you, <laughs> Buzz, would you agree that Booby probably required more support? If he did, he deserve an opportunity. If he had been good enough to go on to college, would he not deserve perhaps a little more support academically uh, to get through school? I mean, considering his background, and Booby was a great character in Buzz's Friday Night because, Lights book. Because would he have gotten more support? Yes. I mean, would you say the kid deserved it, though? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a would good he, thing? If, if he effectively used it, sure. But I think they are given that support to pass them through and make sure that they are having experience. And Jason, the graduation rates for African-American players Complex is reasons, horrible. Buzz. Let, wait, Complex let me, let me reasons. just give you – let's talk facts. Florida State. Whites, 93%. Blacks, 44%. Arkansas, Buzz, 80%. Let me they broke finish. it down. 80%. Because I actually did some work on this instead of rift. Home, I bet you you'd erase the racial disparity. Kids it, that come from two-parent homes, regardless of color, are more apt to graduate from college than kids that come from single-parent homes. The, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a race issue. But you're completely dismissing the, the racial disparity. You're completely dismissing I'm it. I'm not dismissing let me, it. Let me just you are All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to hope. Quick, Tim. Quickly throw, Tim some, Green. Two, throw two numbers at you. Since nine, uh, 1984, the graduation rate for football players across the board has, has increased 10%. That's a good thing. It's a good trend. In the last 10 years, so that's 25 years. In the last 10 years, there's been a 15% increase in African-American football players alone. So it's, it's not perfect, but guess what? Against the general population, which is going down, the football players are going up. And maybe it does require a little bit more money to get them there with, with the tutors and the academic centers, but they are earning it. They are paying for it. 
with their efforts in practice and in the games on Saturday afternoon. Buzz, do you, have, do you have something further to say on that? Do you have something to move that forward? Because I think you've stated your case. I want to I put a question to this side because there's something about your argument that I realize I'm not clear on. Do you believe that athletics have a place, a formal place in education, period? Uh, in the same way, for example, that, that music, painting, performance may. Do those things belong on campus? Is athletics part of an education in the college level? Absolutely. Malcolm Robinson. Uh, so how, does it, how does it fit in then? For all of the reasons I think that were so um, articulate, articulately stated um, by Mr. Green and Mr. Wetlock. They are opportunities to build character, to learn teamwork, to, uh, to bring people from different backgrounds together. All of that's true. So you're saying it's, Buzz, you're saying it's the way in which football is, is happening now. In other words, if you went back 50 years. Well, I mean, it's, it's the way. No, because the, there, there is the, the myth of the student athlete is a myth. In the early 1900s, when the Ivy League ruled football, you know what they did? They hired these kids. They gave them a share of the great gate, receipt, gate receipts. They never went to school, and they were not expected to, to go to school. This is a myth propagated by people like Grantland Rice who raised these players to biblical proportions and Ronald Reagan playing win one for the Gipper. Now, in 1950, the average SAT score of an athlete was 18 points below the average student. It is now exponentially lower. And I'm not sure, and Tim played, but what does just I just want to finish up the sure. point that Malcolm started. So where does athletics in general and football specifically fit into the process of education? It, it, football does not fit into the process of a college education, not when we rank 14th in the but, world. But rowing does? Rowing, rowing may to some degree. They could all be What's college the sports. They could all be club sports. Honestly, okay. honestly, we are so athletic obsessed and for what? For what? I mean, the number of scholarships that we give out, does Penn State really need 29 varsity sports? Does it? Is it right that the single biggest individual contribution given was $70 million for establishment of a Division I hockey program at a time when tuition is going up? And I imagine a lot of those students are leaving because they can no longer afford school, unlike your football player. Tim Green. I, I just don't – I honestly I, – <clears throat> I don't understand why opportunities for, for student-athletes makes you so angry. I, I don't. I don't understand why you begrudge – college athletes scholarships especially when part of your own argument is is that these guy the, these football players and basketball players are being exploited because of the revenues that they generate those revenues that they generate are used to pay for and you talked about the expenses that are there the expenses that's all part of the show and they pay for it dearly they work very hard and 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 you take and you do take risks you don't take risks you know any more than a lot of other sports you take less risk than riding a bicycle or driving a car, but you do take risks and you put forth tremendous effort. And from those efforts, you should – we're in agreement. You should get something back. So which one is it, Buzz? I mean, do you want, do you want players to uh, – football players to have the opportunities 
of education for, you know, as, as compensation for their efforts, or, or don't you? I, it, you're, you're mixing messages. All right. I want to go to questions from the audience, but first I want to tell you, so we are now in the question and audience section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of Intelligence Squared U.S. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, ban college football. And how this will work, if you raise your hand, I'll call on you. Just wait till the microphone comes to you. Uh, and you're being filmed, too, so please stand up so that we can see you. Hold the microphone about a fist's distance from your mouth so that it can hear you clearly. We'd appreciate it if you could state your name. If you're a member of the media or a blogger, we'd appreciate that. Um, and I really urge you to make your question a question. And you'll recognize it as such because a question mark naturally goes at the end of it. <laughs> And try to keep it on topic. You know, this is, there's a lot of places we can go with this. We really want the, the question to get these guys talking about in a way that helps you make your decision on whether to ban college football or not to. Sir, in the far back, you're wearing a black sweater with horizontal white stripes. I can't see you, by the way, if you're uh, not in the lit area. Um, so if you can't see the hands on your wristwatch, I can't see you. But if you want to come down forward to the lit area, then I might, I might be able to call on you. Sir, go ahead. Yes, my name is Rick Levy. I'm not a member of the media. <laughs> but I do have a question regarding the health of the football player. With, with the uh, exposure in the New Orleans Saints for uh, pay for injuring players, is this, in your experience, happening in college as well? Are college players being rewarded for injuring their opponents? Which, which brings us to the large area of corruption, which we haven't discussed greatly. Which side would like to take that first, because we can take it to either side? Well, I, I mean, I would, I would think not. I mean, I would think not. But, you know, if you want to talk corruption, if you want to talk academic cheating, you Let, know, the let's, answer, let's answer the question first. <laughs> no, but uh, corruption in college sports. No, but he, let's, let's answer his question. I said, I said I don't think okay. that any coach or player, there is a bounty system Right. for any college program. And, However, and, and, and before un, that, Tim unlike, Brady, unlike everything else, you, however, you're right. Let's go to teams on well, let me just Let me just answer, let me right. answer his question. Buzz, I, I, do, I do happen to know that in, in, in the National Football League, what happened with the New Orleans Saints was an aberration. In, in my eight years of playing in the NFL, in my ten years as a broadcaster for Fox Sports and knowing players intimately throughout the league, I never heard of anything quite like it, neither did anyone else. By the way, people knew about what was happening with the New Orleans Saints for the past three years, and they were warned over and over again, we hear this, you guys better stop, this is absolutely crazy. It's crazy, it's wrong, it was despicable, it's an aberration, it doesn't happen in pro football, other places, and it certainly has no place, and it has not happened to my knowledge in the college. Okay, now you, now you know if anybody wants to stand up and say, Buzz, what about corruption? He's ready to go. So, go ahead. Go I ahead. I thought what Tim said, who was who was in a position to know the best, was both eloquent and and right and uh, reassuring. I, I he, a Tim I played pro football. I mean that. Malcolm Gladwell. However, <laughs> however, let's talk about teams on probation since 2009. Georgia Tech, LSU, Michigan, UNC, Alabama, Ohio State, New Mexico, USC, Florida International, Alabama State, West Virginia, Boise State, Hobart. What the. F I didn't do it. Didn't do it. Uh, Nebraska, Tennessee. How many is that? I know you'll say that's anecdotal. Academic cheating. Florida State. 61 players took online courses where they received answers beforehand or did no work. 
the team had to vacate wins during those seasons. UNC, which has been invoked. All these football players, for some reason, were ta- All right. taking Buzz, Swahili. I, I want to ring the bell. <laughs> you guys want to, You guys want to respond? Well, Jason Whitlock. I, I hate to go back to it, but how can you if justify you, that? If you have freedom, you're going to have corruption, man. Oh, well, that's that, a good—that's that's a good thing. That's part of. I, I'm, there's probably you I should become head of Citibank for God's sake. Probably. I should have taken a job on Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> you you should have. Look at you, you. It's 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 dangerous to take. The, the, this is this is throughout sports at every level. Right? And the more focus and the more attention we pay to it, the more, the more we are interested and drawn to the people who misbehave. But the vast majority of college football players, you said 7% of college football players have been arrested. That's, about, that's probably about the average in the college male population. No, Wait a minute, not. hang on. It, you're, you're talking no. about all these people that have – look, you've got to add the numbers up. You, if you've got 30 that broke the rules, how many hundreds do you have who didn't break the rules? If you've got a few, a handful of players who committed suicide and then had and then had serious brain damage, which that makes sense, right? And and that, and that horrible tragedy. How many didn't commit Buzz suicide? Buzz is going to be back next month, banning marriage because of infidelity. <laughs> Let me take him to another question. Uh, right down in the front there, uh, very first row. And remember to stand up, please. Thanks. Hi, my name is Claire uh, Andre. My question is, uh, it's been kind of black and white, either ban or not ban, but what what would you suggest as ways or not suggest as ways to encourage uh, to... Well, can I twist your question just a tad? Because I've sure. been wondering the same thing. If it go, Would you be okay with putting yeah, it this absolutely. way to this side? Is there a reformable version of college football that you guys would accept? Because they actually are talking about let's make some changes. Well, can there are suggestions be as reform. Okay. What would be? Let's do it that way. What well, would your suggestions I've, I've be? I've answered that uh, previously. I think a shorter season, less practice time, sharing the wealth with the athletes uh, would be some. You know, I think in my day we played eleven games. Now they play fourteen or fifteen games. It's ridiculous. It's complete and total exploitation. You get a ten game season is completely appropriate. You go to a bowl game, you play an eleven. You know, just the more contact, the more likely you are to get injured. So okay. less games would be. I, I, I wait, let me just let's see if there's anything else on their list. I, okay. I just I think that co- the colleges should continue to work and, and with the NFL to continue to research and find better and better equipment to protect the players and to continue to, to kind of tinker with the rules, create the strike zone for the quarterback, um, eliminate, try to eliminate he- helmet-to-helmet. You're never going to eliminate it completely, but have a strict liability code where players who, who do hit helmet-to-helmet, you know, remove them from the game, suspend them the next time. I mean, make it okay. very serious. Would any of those steps make a difference to you in your conviction to ban college football? No. No. Why? I would have. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, no, no, go ahead, Buzz. If this is a very radical solution. It's got all sorts of problems. I understand that. But people are talking about universities. You license out your name. And basically, you're, you're creating a de facto subsidiary. The universities are out of it. You still call it USC. You still call it whatever. You still call it Nebraska. You still call it Syracuse. But it's out of the university system. The university gets a licensing fee. They negotiate it. It basically is a minor league system that is separate. Or 
You know what? You get rid of it. You don't penalize the players. You know who the biggest villain in this is? The NFL. The NFL does not pay a single dime for what is the greatest boondoggle and farm system ever created. And Malcolm, so make the Malcolm, NFL the, pony up with a developmental league. Malcolm, the other, the other part of their, their set, many of their suggestions are related to making the game safer. So yeah. can you take that on? Well, I would, the thing that I would be happy with is um, intramural, intramural flag football. Um, <laughs> because if you think about it, Here's a chance for kids from all kinds of different yeah, backgrounds don't ask, don't tell to come together <laughs> you, you and to learn to play together and hard work and perseverance. I, I, get all, I get all misty-eyed thinking about it. Now, wait a second. Malcolm, no offense. Aren't you talking about gay marriage? <laughs> Sir, in the black sweater in third row. Uh, just wait for the mic, please. One second. It's coming from your right-hand side. My name's Herb Antelak. I'm a sports fan. I'm just an average um, person. <laughs> if you're going to ban football, then you'd better start banning basketball and all of the other sports because they just have the same problems as football. This country isn't about banning. This is about building can you, can, you, can, can you turn this to a question? Oh, sure. Okay, thanks. Besides the monetary amount, why do you want to ban football? Well, I mean, you know, I, if, if at this point I haven't made the point, then I'm really screwed. <laughs> uh, because, first of all, and I didn't mention this, 43% of the top 125 programs lose money on football. Now, how any... You really gave him money. an opening here. To, to <laughs> any, so 43% lose money. Why do they maintain football programs? Tim and I talked about this yesterday. Because for some... Why do you want to ban it football has nothing, outside of money? Because it, because it has nothing to do with the academics. I'm amazed. Aren't you concerned? It with the academics. It does, has nothing it provides, to do with the Wait, wait, wait. wait. Education I, I, okay. I, I, gotta, I have to shut you down because we only got four seats up here, but thank you. Can I ask? Thank you. Yeah, Tim Green would like a chance to respond I, to that. In, in, your, in your farm team system, you know, where every school gets to have their own farm team, um, do, the, do the players get to go to class? Do they get an education at the same time? I, think, I would think you would give the play. you know, it's, a, it's an unwieldy mechanism. I think you give the players that option. If they want to be called student athletes and they're actually going to class and they're interested in getting education, fine. If they don't want to go, don't make them because I have a feeling that most of them probably don't want to go. Those would be athlete students. Now, and, what, and that's why, why Stanford why has an easy course list. That's why UNC has an what, easy course well, list. Well, you know, that you got to quantify that. But why do you think, if they don't want to go, why do you think 70% are graduating as opposed to 55, 56% of everyone else? Well, I, I, I said, because in many cases... What, what, yeah, wait, well, wait, let him finish. Yeah, answer. Yeah. Why? Why, why, why are so many football players graduating if they don't want their degree and they don't want to go to class and they don't want to go to school? You're taking Wait, let, let, you let him answer the question. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Buzz business. Because it's a game and because the NCAA knows and college football knows that we're under a lot of scrutiny for our graduation rates, so they push them through. Why does Stanford, Stanford have an easy class list that football players hear the classes you take? Why, Tim? Why? I, why would I, they? I know, why would UNC? I, I have... But why? I have okay. alum. I have alum at Syracuse 
um, who, who had you know, e easier class loads, easier degrees than, than I did with an English literature degree or, or, or a, a, a biosciences degree. I mean, a physics degree, an engineering degree. I mean, some people get their degrees and uh, I, I don't want to disparage any other degrees, but there are, you know, there are all kinds of things. You know, if, you're, uh, if you get a degree in, in business or a degree in the liberal arts, say, I, say an English yeah. degree. Let's go to another question, ma'am, uh, I mean, around in the, the aisle there. Yeah, there you go. Hi, I also am just an average person and a sports fan. Uh, my name's Ashley. Uh, there is a, a scholar out of Duke University who has correlated the top 25 universities um, in the world, 22, 21, 22 of them are in the U.S., uh, with the big sports programs um, having an effect on bringing the community together and getting behind, even if it doesn't directly contribute to the bottom line of the university or show honor. Um, and that's one of the reasons that even though our recent numbers haven't been great, our overall numbers of top universities are indeed so higher. So what, what is your question? So the question is, do you feel that that holds any weight? Um, one of the questions that you've posed several times is, what is the purpose of football and other athletics in higher education? And if it's overall to bring our, top, our universities to the top of the line, um, so does that could, hold any weight? Is your, is your question... Is is, and I may be wrong, but is your question, what about the, and this side has made this case, the beneficial effect on, on bringing a university together, giving it an identity, giving it a, a sense of purpose and unity? Do right. you think that's real? And you're asking this side if that is, if they think it's real and if they think it's worth it. Right. Uh, Malcolm Johnson. I, you know, the thing that I always come back to that has mystified me throughout this whole debate is, what on earth is so special about football? I mean, if... Fifty years ago or 75 years ago, the major colleges had all decided that they would compete at Monopoly <laughs> and that somehow Monopoly had gotten lodged in the imagination of the American scholar Monopoly player and that they started to give out scholarships for Monopoly players and then the Monopoly coaches earned millions of dollars and they built large stadia which thousands of people would come to to watch the Monopoly players compete against each other. And then suddenly it was observed that Monopoly had gotten out of control, and we said, maybe it's time for us to turn our back on Monopoly. I can imagine the two of you just standing up there and saying, no, there's something yeah, magical her, her about question this for, game. Her question for My point is, there's nothing. It's just a game. Replace it with another game. But her question persists that she, whether it makes no sense to you or, or yeah. not, her question is she feels that this effect is there and is real. And I want to ask you well, if you think it's there and if it's real it, and if it's worth my it. Point let is, me take, let, well, uh, go ahead. My point is it's probably real, but you could get it with something else. Monopoly. Buzz Let's business. try it. Buzz well, business. I mean, I think, you know, it's like anything in life. If a team is winning and successful with certain exceptions like a Texas or an LSU or an Alabama, if you're winning, students go, alumni go. If you're losing, uh, they tend not to go. I'm not sure if you're saying that the 25 biggest, best universities in the world have superb football programs, because I don't think that's correct. I just don't, because on that list is Harvard, Yale, Penn, University of Chicago. And last time I checked, the Ivy League sucks. Uh, but anyway, anyway, it does bring students together. But however, there was a study done at the University of Oregon by several economists that was in the National Economic Review that showed when the Oregon football team was winning, Men's grades went down significantly. They did, you, you might think it's, it's a laugh, but it's not. By an equivalent of 27 SAT points, they studied half as much and they drank twice 
as more. So that's what football does. It makes you drunk and stupid. Uh, Tim Green. Malcolm, you asked what, what's so special about football, and I, I, I want to seriously try to answer that because I'm, I'm, I'm a dad, and, and I encourage my kids. I don't, if they don't want to be athletes and they don't want to play sports, that's fine. They can do whatever they want to do. But if they want to be athletes, I encourage them. I've coached a lot of sports, and I've coached football. And the thing, the thing that I love about all sports is one of the things Jason said, teamwork, bringing people together for a common cause, working together, learning that even if you're not the most important part of a team, you can make a difference and help that team win, learning that you have to get along with people even if you don't like them to, to have, if you have a common goal. Uh, the, the, the perseverance uh, element of sports. And I think the thing, the thing that I love most about football is, and this is what I say to, my, to the kids I coach, I say, and, and the parents, I say, you're, you're going to, when you go out into the world, you are going to be knocked down. You're going to be knocked down, and guess what? It's not always going to be fair. And sometimes you're going to be cheated. And sometimes people are going to do things to you that they shouldn't do. And all this happens in a game of football. And it happens in a very confined, intense experience. And I'm telling you but that, that, that but as a football player, and football players, you learn but, to get but knocked Tim, down and get back up. Tim, that doesn't beat the monopoly argument because... Oh, I mean, it is seriously because, it, no, it because you're talking about what's good for the football player, and they're talking about oh, what's okay. good for the no, rest of right. the university. I, I thought he meant what's what's so good about football as a player. But look, I mean, football is a part of the, of, of the American soul. It goes to, frankly, our celebration of, of we like being a violent, you know, hard-assed country. What I resent is that why don't you get all those things in the school newspaper when you put on a play when you're in the orchestra. You get all these things, perseverance, caring. Football players don't really have to deal with people. They're told by 23 coaches what to do. And all those pursuits have much more long-lived academic pursuits. Jason you have to write. Jason you have to learn critical well, thinking. I think on a college campus, a lot of those endeavors that you're talking about, and some of them I participated in my school newspaper, again, those tend to be segregated endeavors that – don't reach the cross-section of people that football does. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate, uh, but, but it's, the rea it's the American reality. And football is the one thing on the field and even in the stands that seems to bring America together across a lot of different backgrounds. Buzz Bissinger. Henry Gates, Sports Illustrated, 1981. And we all know who he is, and I think we respect him, obviously. The blind pursuit of attainment in sports is having a devastating effect on our people. Imbued with a belief that our principal avenue is to face and is to profit through sport, far too many black kids treat basketball courts and football fields as if they were classrooms in an alternate school system. That's Henry Gates. Henry Gates. Now, Henry Gates also, and then I'll stop. Henry Gates, he went back to his hometown. He asked people, how many, how many black pro athletes do you think there were? The guesses were wild, half a million, 50,000. But what he was distressed by, no one believed him when he said, there are 12 times more black lawyers than pro, pro athletes, 20 times more dentists, and 15 times more doctors. So I frankly think that uh, you are selling a um, bill of goods 
to inner city kids that athletics is the way out because there are a lot of other ways out. Jason, Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock. Because it's America and because of freedom, you have to take responsibility for yourself. And so, trust me, having gone through the athletic and academic experience, Ball State University and every other university that my friends attended, they put all the academic goodies right on the table for you to take. And sometimes they put you in a, you know, get your head and try to stuff the academic. It's up to you to open your mouth and take it. That's America. And so these issues that we're trying to reduce to black and white sometimes are far more complicated, and it has to do with, for me, I tried to quit college football. My parents wouldn't allow it, would not allow it. Why did you want to quit? Because it was hard, and me and my coach didn't get along, and I had a big mouth. And uh, I tried to quit, and my parents were like, good luck, buddy, you're on your own. And luckily, I had those kind of parents. They wouldn't let me quit. I played with a lot of guys that didn't have those kind of parents or didn't have parents. And so we're blaming institutions a lot of times for things that a foundation with a kid has to be established from birth all the way up until the point you hand them over to the institution. And if that foundation is not there, if that support system is not there, you're going to fail. That's America. Uh, and so it's, we can demonize the universities and the institutions. But, you know, there's clearly a breakdown in family throughout America that is most acute in the African-American community. And it contributes to a lot of these problems that uh, Mr. Bissinger's talking about. Okay, I want to do a, uh, I want to do a, um, a, a break to, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Now the quick break is over. And um, I, would, I just want to ask you to uh, give us a round of applause to lead me back into it. So we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two against two, who are arguing it out over this motion, ban college football. We're doing questions from the audience, front row. It makes me nervous when I see that you've written out your question. I hope um, it's like only Jason four lines. Marcus. No, go ahead. Start again, please. Sorry. Jason Matrakos, not a member of the media. Question for uh, Jason Whitlock, actually. Um, you've been talking a lot about freedom and American uh, values, capitalism, and so forth. Um, I think we can all agree that college football is not, and, and pro football is not a free labor market. Um, people have to play for three years in the NCAA before they can be eligible for the draft. Um, the fact that there is a draft is a little bit ridiculous. I think most um, labor economists would agree. Uh, my question to you is, would you do away with these restrictions on freedom for the players? number one, and number two, would college football exist if you did? Uh, I, I would not do away with them because, you know, I am pro-restraints on freedom within reason. Uh, and so, no, I, I actually think it's for the players' best benefit to go on and participate in college football. Um, I, you know, so no, I, I'm not for... You know, capital. There's a, we need a system of checks and balances 
throughout our society. And so Wait, now I'm really confused. I've just been listening to you for the last half hour going on about freedom and dumbing. And all of a sudden, yeah. now you're not for freedom well, anymore. No, I am for freedom, but... Except when you're not. You know no, th that's why we have... That's why we have government and rules and regulations, and there, there are restraints on freedom. We can't kill each other. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> then, uh, Jason, let me ask you this, and, and no offense, you definitely had concussions when you played. I'm convinced <laughs> of that. But anyway, I know that was inappropriate. All right, well, cut it. That was a good joke. Buzz and I are friends. Anyway, I was doing so really? well up until yeah. then. Yeah. Um, okay. Buzz plays Are you rough. in favor, then, handle. of an antitrust exemption, as many labor economists are who study sports, in which no head coach gets more than $400,000 a year, which is a lot of money. Are you in favor of that? 400000 I don't know if that would be my limit, but, yeah, I'm, I'm for – I wish Congress or, you know, our government would step in and put some restraints on the NCAA and college and only, football. And, and let's face it, the only reason that three-year rule is in effect is because, and I think Tim will agree, you need that amount of time to develop as a football player right. to be ready for the pros. So that's the only reason. Um, you know, it's what the NFL wants. And basketball, which frankly, major, major, major college basketball is in worse shape than football because of the one year and out. You know, the five starting players at Kentucky, all of them freshmen are leaving school. So, you know, everything is done basically for the sake either of money or so-called branding or the pros. So did you come all the way down from the back? Um, you've, earned, you've earned your question. Uh, the question is actually... If well, my name is Vince Percacci. I'm not a member of the media. It's actually to Mr. Whitlock, um, and it's uh, on the topic of freedom. Um, but if you do have a ban, how do you craft legislation that would make uh, the rest of us feel somewhat uncomfortable about the overreaching? Um, Setting a precedent that could be used to ban basketball next. Exactly, exactly. That they no. decide that yeah, they it's, don't that's like. The, and and it's the message from the other side is we don't like to ban things even though we do ban things. It doesn't. Right. It always so, smells so bad. So, so can you take on, take on, you're talking about a slippery slope, obviously. It, 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 so it, take, look, on, it, take it on. Know, the Tim, Tim, is, Tim has played football. He has spoken, I think, very eloquently about why it is a special game. It is a special game. I love football. I do not think it has any academic purpose and yeah, but, he's but asking wait, about other, all the other team. Sports. But you know, you do it, you do it. The University of Chicago, which was in the Big Ten, and Jay Burwanger had won the Heisman Trophy six years earlier in the Big Ten. Robert Hutchins said, "You know what? This serves absolutely no academic purpose. No academic purpose." And he said, "You know, I know a lot of students at my school who can win twelve letters but don't know how to write one. And you know what? They got rid of it. They got rid of it." Schools can get rid of it. BU got rid of it. Northeastern got rid of it. Schools get rid of it. Chicago, how do you do it globally for the entire country? Do you have to have federal government come I mean, in I, and say no, everybody I, no, is banning no, I mean, federal, uh, I mean, I football think, programs? Look, people, you know, people can sue. They can do this. They can do that. I think college presidents gets – the problem is with those salaries is they're terrified of head coaches. They're terrified of college coaches. They know at the big schools they bring in a lot yeah, but, of bucks. But, Buzz, you, but you're giving the reasons you not to do it. it. But what are the reasons? You know what you do? You, you ban it. College presidents ban it and then let people sue and let – you know, then it takes – who knows? Two weeks ago the, uh, at the University of Florida, they shut down their computer science department and they added $2 million a year to their athletic budget, yeah. bringing their – the football program's share of that budget to $78 million. Now, 
They didn't think of the banning okay. of computer science at the University of Florida as setting a dangerous precedent. All right, let's hear from the other so side. So if that's the case, we, I'm not so worried everyone, about the football. I mean, we, why can't we, to, to Jason's point about freedoms, why, why can't Florida spend their money on one thing instead of another? Why can't the University of Chicago um, discontinue football and focus on, on academics? Why, this is, why can't we choose? Why can't we choose? And, and if, if someone, is, if a football program is losing money and a school wants to discontinue it, well, why, why don't they? Why don't they? They don't because somewhere along the line, some benefit is inuring to that university, and that's why they do it. And I just, I just don't understand why you would say, well, let's ban it. If it's so unproductive, if it's so counterproductive to everything that's going on, it would ban itself. It, but, you know, uh, I mean, the, it's, it's not going to ban itself because the amount of money that is now involved that has been poured in that certainly wasn't there in the 60s by uh, ESPN and, and CBS is so, is so enormous that it's just going to create a bigger and bigger monster. And I guess, I don't know, call me silly, these are difficult times for this country. We can put our head in the sand and sing the national anthem and say everything's going to be great and we can believe in myths, a great country changes. There was no China in the 1960s that was competing. There was no India. There was no South Korea. And call me naive, I really do think that these universities have to be almost exclusively about education. And one other thing, you asked about getting rid of sports. I'll tell you why. It wouldn't be a bad idea because then, you know, that's actually the best argument for keeping football. You keep football, you keep basketball, you get rid of all the other sports that they pay for. So that money at least goes into the general fund so the average student is getting something out do you, of it. Do you want to add something because he had a long run? Well, I mean, that's, that's another debate whether Tim we Green. want to ban all non-revenue producing sports. Again, those are create opportunities for people. And, and – for men and for women, and I, I think universities are about opportunities. And the other thing, I just want to say this, because you mentioned something that's absolutely wonderful, Buzz. Um, before every football game and before every athletic contest at the high school level and in the college level, everyone, everyone, both sides, we stand up, and, and if, if, if we don't sing, at least we stand and respectfully observe the Star Spangled Banner, this, this, country's, uh, this country's song. And... Um, what you know, our national anthem. What a beautiful thing! That's the only place where a community, where an entire school, comes together and stands up and respects the national anthem. You don't do it. You don't do it anywhere else. Malcolm's in, in not the college singing it, uh, sir. Question. Um, actually, Mr. Bissinger, I did go to the University of Chicago and I did play football there. They reinstituted football in 1969. On a, on a very, very minor, minor scale. Uh, yes, so it's Division Three, right. uh, But they wear helmets well, and hit each other. Yeah. We do actually wear helmets you and hit each other a lot. You can't. not touch. And Mr. Whitlock, I do work on Wall Street as well, so actually I think I had some success in my career after graduating <laughs> the University of Chicago. Uh, I can tell you this much. Um, the University of Chicago athletes in general, not just football, but athletes overall, have a higher GPA when I graduated in 2000 than the overall student body. So your question, the argument of athletics and education, there is a correlation between education but, and athletics. You know, you're you, now, so, my, my, so the question is this. Yeah. Now, it is also true that Division I programs without football, no one makes money. Football programs pay for all the other, all the other sports. So once you ban football, how do you pay for women's swimming? How do you pay for 
I really support the race because there is a correlation between athletics you, and economics. How do you pay for women's thing? The way you pay for so, a lot of things. You taxes? No, you, you mentioned get a, taxes you get, earlier. No, you get a rich benefactor, and there are plenty out there who will pay for the program because, frankly, that's what's happening now. The next phase of college football will be uh, Boone Pickens. Why is Oklahoma State so good? Because he's given $300 million to the football program. The University of Oregon, it came out of nowhere to be a football power. Why? Because of the hundreds of millions given by Phil Knight. If you want to have women swimming, you have a benefactor, play for it. And you know as well as I do that Chicago is in a very, very different place than the 125 BCS schools. There is no question at places like Chicago and Harvard and Wesleyan where kids don't think that they're going to be pro football players. The most formidable person I've ever met is an athlete because they don't quit. But you know what the problem with athletes are? You know where they do the best? Because Wall Street. And you know why Wall Street is so screwed up? Is because <laughs> athletes, All it's right. true, athletes Man. don't know when to quit. They're only about winning. Ma'am. Yeah, yeah, sorry, thanks. One of the greatest American philosophers, John Dewey, wrote a book called Democracy in Education, and he discusses the uh, importance of um, sport and play in the both K through 12 education as well as the system of American higher education. And I'm wondering what the side for uh, banning college football would think, uh, John Dewey would think, of the idea of taking sport and play out of the curriculum of American higher education when it actually is a really important part of the higher education of, uh, of an individual, whether it's intramural sports or um, I don't know what the level of college sports is. but Okay. We're not talking about taking sports out of the curriculum. We're talking about banning uh, semi-professional, or maybe Buzz uh, might have a slightly different interpretation of this no, than me. But um, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that you, if you look at schools like, for example, MIT, which has one of the highest participation rates in intramural sports in the country, um, their level of play is far higher than everybody else's. Perhaps as a consequence of the fact that they've turned their backs on big-time college sports. So I think you could, if we focused on precisely what John Dewey was interested in doing which is bringing sports down to the level of the average, the ordinary um, student, then that would be easily, more easily achieved if we got away from this preoccupation with this, these enormously costly and dangerous spectacles. And, and, and just to clarify, I mean, you could have, you know, people might not like it, you can have wonderful club sports that can be very, very competitive. I mean, you, you can have a schedule. The amount of travel the teams do is ridiculous. You can have a schedule where you're competing against original teams. I think John Dewey was talking about the development of the whole individual. The fact is there's no phys ed anymore in schools. Um, everything is about and by and for uh, the athlete. And what happens is you create the athletic culture. Let me put to the other side. So the, the solution of having club sports as opposed to sports at the level that you guys played, what would that do? You're limiting Jason access for a lot of people, so you're not going to have you're not going to have college green. scholarships for the athletes. And I mean, one thing I do want to say though is on this, this line. I mean, are we talking about banning college football? Are we talking about only banning college football if it's Division One college football? Are we talking about Division Three, Division Two football? That's okay. But but no, Division because, I One, mean, I, you know, I, no. I think I think the model of Division Two and, and Division Three is is better. I think if you read William Bowen's uh, 
book. I think it's called Game of Play. It's a fantastic book based on data that he got from the Ivy League and from Duke. I mean, the one thing he did point out, and the little three, he said it's a total fallacy to think that the Ivy League does not recruit and does not play games with scholarships and that Williams actually gives more athletic preference to athletes than the University um, of Michigan. I think all these programs uh, are lost leaders. And, you know, uh, look. So you're, you're, you're saying ban I'm advocating here's what entirely. I'm, no, but I'm advocating that there are other ways to do it, whether it's a minor league system, whether it's an NFL developmental system. Why not the European model? The European model, they don't use their colleges and universities to create soccer players. They have sports academies. They have schools. They put players as young as six because they say, all right, you want to be a soccer player? You're showing talent, and they go to school there. And the other thing they do that is, that is smart and beneficial is if you're not going to make it, you're weeded out early. So you All learn right. at an Buzz, early beca- age. Because of time, time, only right, because right. of time, I want to give you 30, 15 seconds to respond if you so, want to. So we're not going to ban college football. We're just going to change it. Because we're going we're to have colleges that have football teams, and, and some of those players, the players who want, get to go and get their education. So no, I think we ban college football, and then you have a developmental system for those who, those who Better, are at the, at the higher echelons of competition. And for the rest of the schools that are called, that are called Syracuse University, Texas Longhorns, yeah, you license, you, I mean, I mean, you license, you license it out. You okay. license as it long out. as they can go to school, and those, so those seventy percent that want to get their education can get it. I think it's yeah, great. That'll All right, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And. Um, Remember how you voted at the beginning of the debate. We're going to ask you to vote again in just a few minutes after the closing statements, which will come immediately and be briefly. Round three, closing statements, two minutes each, uninterrupted. Our motion is ban college football. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Tim Green, a best-selling author, former Atlanta Falcon, and college football Hall of Famer. There, there is no question that there are problems with college football, um, as there are problems with almost every institution in this country. Uh, but I hope that after some of the things you've heard tonight from Jason and from me, um, people who've benefited from the education of college, uh, the education we, we had on the football field with the perseverance, um, the hard work, the teamwork, um, the tolerance, and, and the benefits that we that uh, accrued to us through our education, uh, where where we earn the opportunity to get college degrees, where uh, and sometimes some of the people who get those degrees wouldn't have another way to get them except through the college through the football scholarships. So there are, there are great things. They unify our communities um, in many instances. They unify campuses and colleges, and that's and the reason why it's there is because it is doing good things. And yes, it's making money, and yes, the coaches are making money. And uh, this is America. It's capitalism. I'm sorry, Brad Pitt makes twenty five million dollars to make a movie. Um, that, that's just our that's that's our society. So we pay people, um, w- you know, what the market what the market says we should pay them. Um, football, it, it, there are concussions, but there are no studies so far that link that to anything uh, other than, uh, you know, some, some isolated instances. So football, you know, and it's evolving uh, with the equipment and the rules. It can continue to get better. But to end it, uh, it to me, you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell may be best known for his, his book called Blink. 
And, and in that book, it says that um, when you're faced with a crucial decision or any decision, just listen to the premise and then give your immediate impression. So that's what I want to ask you to do tonight. Think about this. Think about, are we going to ban college football? And in a blink, I think you'll vote that we will not. Thank you, Tim Green. Our motion is ban college football. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Buzz Bissinger, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, sports columnist for the Daily Beast, and author of Friday Night Lights. I mean... Look, there's no question. This is a radical solution, but I think it is called for in what are radical times. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, Tim and Jason seem not to be affected at all about our lagging academic performance, that we're now 14th in the world in math and reading and science when we used to be first, uh, that we're 16th in educational attainment, uh, meaning that other countries are ca catching up and catching up rapidly and exceeding us. When we used to be first, we simply do not have time to waste. Universities were set up for a primary academic purpose. They were not set up as sports factories uh, disguised as universities. And I understand the graduation rate is 69%. I think it's ginned up. Uh, I think a lot of players, and I think even Tim, would, he'll admit this to me privately afterwards, a lot of players are pushed through and passed through with no demands placed upon him, and I know the impact. I did write a book called Friday Night Lights in which the cornerstone character was a black running back named Booby Miles. Now, this was high school, and I saw what happened, as many college players are, when you are treated as a football animal. When you pass, because the word on the street is to professors is, you better pass that kid or there's going to be trouble. Booby Miles got no education. He was a football animal. He was considered dysfunctional, basically an idiot, which he was not. And I'll tell you, with no education, his life has been nothing, nothing but a horrendous hell and a lot of broken dreams that football propagates more than any other sport. Thank you, Buzz Bissinger. Ben, college football, that is our motion. And here to argue his position against this motion, Jason Whitlock. He is a national columnist for FoxSports.com and an all-sports insider and contributor to Fox Sports Radio. I, I want to start where I began by one... Mr. Gladwell, Mr. Bissinger, Malcolm Buzz, two of the brightest minds <clears throat> I, I've ever encountered. Uh, and and, and I, when I said the comment about them dabbling in sports, it's because most of the time they apply their mind to much bigger issues than sports. And so it's been a worthy debate. Uh, Mr. Gladwell began <clears throat> talking about the purpose of schools and, and overall education is about preparing you for life. And I think if they had a bit more experience with college football, actual participation, and, and, and I don't mean that in any kind of dismissive way, but it's something you have to experience because I don't think most people understand the educational benefits of college football and it's dismissed as a bunch of dummies. 
Uh, Brady Hoke, the head football coach at the University of Michigan, is a very good friend of mine. He played football at Ball State University. He had been the head coach at Ball State University. I, I have watched him up close and personal in this era uh, reach kids at Ball State University, at San Diego State University, and now at the University of Michigan with an entire leadership program and men-building program that he and his strength coach implement throughout a player's four- and five-year career, and it helps develop the overall person, and it helps prepare the athlete for life in the real world. That is a school's purpose. If we truly understood football and what was transpiring, I don't think anyone would argue that it's not part of the academic experience. It may be part of the academic experience that some people don't respect because they don't understand it, but trust me, it is a big part of the academic experience. It's not perfect. It can be improved. Uh, it can be more like the Ivy League system, but there's no way we should ban football. Thank you, Jason Whitlock. Our motion is ban college football, and here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Malcolm Gladwell, a New Yorker staff writer and author of The Tipping Point. The, the most surprising thing about this debate to me in the end was that we only mentioned the name Junior Seau twice. And to my mind, Junior Seau's shadow uh, is cast over this whole evening. Last week, shot himself in the chest, um, and he played four years at the University of South Carolina, University of uh, Southern California, over which time I'm guessing he was hit in the head about 4,000 times. He's not the first. Before Junior Seau, there was Dave Dorson, played four years at the, at the University of Notre Dame, during which time he was probably hit in the head around 4,000 times. He wasn't the first either. Before him, there was Andre Waters, shot himself in the head, played four years at Cheney University, over which time he was probably hit in the head at least 4,000 times. I could go on and on and on, right down to the captain of the Penn football team who hung himself in his room a couple of years ago. And when they did an autopsy on his brain, what did they find? They found evidence, long-term neurological damage that was the result of being hit in the head too many times. Now, I have sat and I've listened to some, some of the things that the other side have said have been extraordinarily eloquent. I think some of the things that both Tim and Jason said about what this game can do are absolutely true. It is, in many ways, a beautiful game. It's a game that teaches all kinds of powerful and fundamental lessons. It's a game that's a central part of our culture. But at a certain time, I think this debate comes down to one thing, and that is you have to look at the collateral damage this game has left in its wake, and you have to ask the question, is it time to say enough? Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to see which side you feel has made the best argument here. We want to ask you again to go to the keypads at your seat to register your vote. This will be your second vote. Our motion is ban college football. If you feel that this team presented the stronger argument, press number one. If it's this team, number two, decide against. If you are undecided or became undecided, push number three. And you can ignore the other uh, keys. And if you press anything by mistake, just correct yourself, and the system will lock in your last vote. So we'll have those results in about uh, 140 seconds from now. Um, and while we're waiting for the votes, I just want to ask uh, 
I, this debate was actually one of our best ever, and part of it was because they really heard each other. They didn't agree, but they listened to each other, uh, and that made it a far more interesting debate. I just want to thank them and the round of applause for what they did here. Um, also, just a little secret, there was, there was a wager placed in the back room before the debate began. Everybody, the four guys put up 20 bucks each. So there's a $40 cash prize in it for whoever, whoever wins this thing. We want to thank our media partner, Slate, uh, especially Jacob Weisberg and his exceptional editorial staff. They've been with us all season. And um, this is our last debate uh, here at the Skirball Center at NYU. It's been our venue since the fall of 2009. Thank you to the staff and crew for six great seasons here. We really appreciate it. And um, I have a very, very short side competition. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. The first person in the audience who can answer this question correctly, you'll have about 15 seconds. We'll get two free tickets to the first debate in our next season. And the question is this. It's football-related. Um, what does the Heisman Trophy have to do with a man named Ed Smith, and who was he? You got it? Yes. He was a football player. And Sorry? The, 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 the model for the Heisman Trophy was an NYU football player. <laughs> Class of 1936. This fall, we are moving up. Congratulations. This fall, we're moving uptown to the uh, Kaufman Center. That's on West 67th Street between Broadway and Amsterdam Avenue. And dates are set and tickets are already on sale. We're going to be following the presidential election particularly closely this fall. And that means we're going to be doing topics like super PACs and health care and taxing the wealthy. Motions and debaters will be announced this summer. One other thing. We are very, very delighted to announce a new partnership. It is with the Richard Paul Richmond Center uh, for Business Law and Public Policy. That's a joint venture of the Columbia Business School and the Columbia Law School. The Richmond Center is going to co-sponsor two debates during the fall 2012 and spring 2013 season, uh, beginning with an October 24th debate on domestic tax policy that will be featuring Glenn Hubbard, who is dean of Columbia Business School. Glenn Hubbard previously served as deputy assistant secretary at the U.S. Department of the Treasury and as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Um, and once again, we are partnering this evening with New American Tavern around the corner um, uh, to host a post-debate reception at Amity Hall. That's a locale around the corner, a block away on 3rd Street between Thompson and Sullivan. Um, details for that location are in your program, but it's just really literally on the other side of this building. And there you can continue this debate with your fellow audience members over complimentary appetizers and discounted drinks. And I'll be there along with some of the other members of our staff for a little bit. We did it last time, and it was, it was great. People just wanted to keep debating the issue with each other. So we hope that uh, we'll see you there. So that's it. I'm just waiting for the results to come. And here they come for the $40 cash prize. Gloria. <laughs> All right, it's all in. You have heard all of the arguments, two teams of two trying to change your minds throughout this debate. Ban college football. That is our motion. Ban it or not. Here are the results. Before the debate, 16% were for the motion, 53% were against, 31% were undecided after the debate. 53% are for the motion. That's up 37%. 39% are against. That's down 14%. 8% are undecided. The side arguing for the motion carries the debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time.